0: Welcome to the Perspectives on Healthcare podcast, where members of the medical community from different roles, venues, and locations share their unique perspectives on quality healthcare, its future, and how to improve it. Now, from the Your Keynote Speaker studio in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, here is your host, Rob Oliver. Thank you and welcome today my perspective comes from Sam Ree. He is a plastic surgeon and a CrossFit enthusiast who lives in Northern New Jersey. He is a member of Generation X and Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a it's an honor to be here. Absolutely. So, we'll start right from the beginning and it's tell me a little bit about yourself and your role in healthcare.
1: Thanks. So, um I am a plastic surgeon. I've been board certified for 16 years at this point. Um, I've sort of seen healthcare on a couple different sides. When I first started as a plastic surgeon, I uh, worked in a large institution. So my first job was at University Hospital in Newark, New Jersey. And I saw a very, I guess you could say, urban gritty part of what healthcare is about. I saw a lot of trauma. It was, um, it was very eye-opening as a, as a young surgeon to, to be exposed to that. And I did a lot of craniofacial um, care. So I trained originally as a pediatric plastic surgeon, um, did cleft lips, uh, facial trauma, um, anything sort of related to children and the head for the most part. Um, and I worked in large teams. So most of those types of care required you know, geneticists, neurosurgeons, ENT specialists, pediatricians. Um, I, after a couple of years working there, I worked at New York Presbyterian, pretty much in the same role, but this time in Manhattan. So it was a little bit of a different demographic for sure. Um, and I was there for another couple years. And at that point, personally, um, I loved this type of medicine and this type of care. But if you want to, to be in that intense academic setting, you really have to spend a lot of time there. And I was living in New Jersey, in Northern New Jersey. And the commute, um, Mm -hmm. I had two young kids and I had to make some choices. And I ended up leaving and then switching pretty dramatically into a single practice, single solo practice environment. And, you know, once you leave that large Academic or institutional environment, you can't really do the same types of surgery. And most plastic surgeons who are in single practice environments end up doing primarily cosmetic surgery, which is what I basically transitioned into. So for the past, uh, what is it, like nine years or so, I've been doing primarily liposuction, you know, whatever stereotypical things you might expect a plastic surgeon to do on TV, facelifts breast augmentations, liposuction. So I've seen it from multiple aspects.
0: Okay, and I'm just interested to to hear just a little bit more about your take. When you're in the big hospital, it's a team setting. Um, Are you able to generate any type of team setting as a solo practitioner or is it just kind of you on your own? How does, what would you classify as kind of the difference between those two opportunities with team building?
1: So when you're in a large academic institution, um, you have resources provided for you. You know, you have very smart people all working in their specialties. So you have an ophthalm, you know, a pediatric ophthalmologist, but a really, really, you know, top of the line pediatric ophthalmologist. You have geneticists who are working at the forefront of their field. Um, And so when you meet about these very complicated, complicated patients with complicated issues, um, you can sort of put that together, um, and you have institutional funding typically to do that. They they want you to if they're an elite institution, they want to perform elite level care. When you're in your own private practice, you're no longer f- salaried by the ho- the hospital. You're now based on your own revenue that you make, and most of these procedures are, although they're very complicated, they don't reimburse well. We're, we're at the mercies of, of insurance. And, you know, when I first came out to no, uh, northern New Jersey, I did try to work in that setting. But it's it's without some sort of infrastructure, it's, it's really difficult. Got it. What does quality healthcare mean to you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, so... Thinking about this, I I pulled what a traditional definition is, and I wanted to pull some aspects out of that. So, you know, the definition often used, and we see this in hospitals all the time, is quality healthcare is safe, it's effective, it's patient-centered, it's timely, it's efficient, it's equitable. Well, for me as a plastic surgeon, especially when I was performing um, a lot of reconstructive care, um, I usually would see patients, well, our specialty usually sees patients in a couple different settings. We'll see them in the ER for acute trauma, either complicated soft tissue lacerations or facial fractures, or, um, and, and, or we will often work with other specialties such as orthopedics for other reconstructions like limb reconstruction or hardware revisions, or we'll work with the surgical oncologists for reconstruction of the breast after mastectomies. So in most of these situations, The one aspect of quality healthcare that stands out is patient-centered because we are surgeons. We are very focused on, you know, our techniques are generally safe and effective and timely and efficient and and equitable for the most part where those are not the decisions we're making as clinicians, Um, but each patient in these situations is very unique Um, Whether you're working with a 17-year-old or a 77-year-old or, uh, you know, 50-year-old mother of two versus, you know, um, a a father who, you know, is 25. Like these are all different situations and and how you tailor your treatment plan for that patient entails a great understanding of what that patient's situation, their needs, their goals are and um, not you know, and that's what we take pride as in plastic surgery is, you know, if a patient has a blocked artery, there's really like one treatment for it, right? But when a patient is absent a breast, or if they have a hand, you know, laceration, are they a workman? Do they work with their hands? Is it their left hand? Which finger is it? What, you know, what type of uh, goals are these patients seeking in terms of their um, function versus aesthetics afterwards? And so, um, I think for us as plastic surgeons, quality health care depends on patient-centered care.
0: Well said. I, can you give me an example of quality health care?
1: Yes. I think one of the ones that touches most patients, and I don't do this anymore, but I did, was breast reconstruction. So, you know, one in nine women will eventually uh, be diagnosed with breast cancer. It's one of our most prevalent um you know, care issues uh, in America and around the world. And when a patient undergoes a mastectomy where they are removing a breast for breast cancer, there are many, many reconstructive options. And it is certainly not cookie cutter and not one option fits all. It can range from no reconstruction, which has been a, an option for patients. And, and there's a, a vocal subset of uh, patients who believe in that, all the way up to very, very complicated multi-step microsurgical reconstructions, you know, and everything in between, implant reconstructions or a combination of, of such. And each option has a range of sub-options. So when you, when you talk to patients and you put them in a situation, a great plastic surgeon will be able to honestly offer all of these options fairly to a patient who can then decide for themselves um, what it is that they want. And it can be overwhelming, almost too overwhelming. And so a big part of quality healthcare in that example is is being able to present this to a patient in an easily understandable, digestible way, which which helps them decide what they want to do. And that's a tough thing to do. The best breast care plastic surgeons that I know um, are not just technically great, but they're really good at connecting with patients and helping them guide them through all of their options.
0: Yeah, it, there is a an element of medical knowledge, but then there's also the um, communication intelligence to be able to talk about it and, and bring folks onto that page. What do you wish people understood about your role in healthcare, about being a plastic surgeon?
1: Wow. Well, I'm, I mean, I. It's sad to say, but I'm really no longer. I mean, I can't really call myself a health care healthcare provider right now at this time. I mean, if I'm doing primarily aesthetic um, procedures, um, I'm not really performing healthcare because th- these are not needed procedures per se. But I will say, in my experience, um, I've seen both, like I said, large institutional, as well as small um, single surgeon type situations, and. Um, I would say that improved health and positive outcomes go hand in hand. I think the farther along I've gone, the more I see that. I think it's it's really hard for us as surgeons not to focus on a specific issue. And I think for many, many years, I did that. I focused at the issue at hand, and I would try to help manage that issue at hand. But I think what's even more important now is... Um, For our, you know, and this is something we've espoused for many years, but it's really hard to implement holistic care, where we truly understand um, what our patients need just from not just from what they need today or next week from us, but what do they need in general. And I think that's in part why I became a CrossFit coach is because, you know, I had been interested in what is involved in making patients healthy, not just fixing problems that they had. And that can be as um, simple as exercise or it can involve nutrition it, it can involve other aspects of patients lives like stress or management of stress. And I think the farther along I've gone, I, I see um, how as healthcare providers, we could probably work a lot more on on that aspect of things.
0: Okay, so I'm, I would just want to kind of parse through what you said there. Because you, um, you gave me two impressions, okay? One said, like, I'm not delivering healthcare per se. And then the other is to look at people holistically. And in some ways, I'm thinking even when it comes to cosmetic surgery, you are changing the way that people look at themselves or feel about themselves, which is a, a self-image concept that changes their psyche. And in that way, is, is kind of peripherally linked to healthcare, because it's looking at them, not just as body, um, it, but as like mind, body, soul kind of thing. And it's more holistic. Does, what's your reaction to that thought? Uh, um,
1: I would appreciate that because that puts a very positive spin on what I do. And I and I like that. Um, I would say it, that's been a process for me, especially um, as I've come along. When I first, I, I have to say, when I first started in, in cosmetic surgery, um, you want to build your business, you want, you want to make money. Um, And so definitely at first it was listening, like, what does the, what do I think the patient wants? Can I fulfill that technically and then achieve that regardless of what the overall improvement in that patient's life is? At this point in my career, I definitely do think about whether or not this will affect a positive change in the patient's outcome, because that makes me happy. But I have the luxury at this point of being in practice for for long enough that um, I can work with my patients. I don't have to honestly take every patient in the door. I actually um, counsel patients a lot more now about not necessarily doing surgery at this point. For example, um, I will have a lot of patients for body contouring, and if I see a patient and they're 5'3 and 270 pounds, well, what I can do cosmetically is not going to impact them very much, nor will it eff- effectively impact their self-image much other than very temporarily. So I, I really work with those patients. I never say no to anyone, but I do say for us to really get to the point where, you, where I think you want to be, these are some of the things that need to happen. And I'm willing to, you know, I'm not a weight management specialist, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a psychologist, but there are there are resources that can help. And I'm here to, you know, support. And if at some point you get to that point where you are a candidate, then absolutely we can do some things for you. Um, and I have had a couple amazing success stories with patients where they really took that to heart. They got super motivated and they and they really made positive changes. I mean, of course, change is really uncomfortable and, and not a lot of people necessarily will do that, but at least it starts to put the thought into their head. And maybe not this year, but maybe next year or the year after, they'll think about some of these things and and maybe they will affect some change in their life. So, so those are the kind of things that, yes... Um, you're right. There are some oblique aspects to improving healthcare that I might be involved in.
0: There you go. So, and and to get back to what we talked, what you talked about earlier on, it, that is the the team building concept in which it's like I'm not the only solution. There are other resources. Let's work out to see what works best for the patient. So, what excites you about the future of healthcare?
1: Ooh, what excites me in a positive or in a concerned manner because <laughs> there's a lot on the concern side, but there is probably some stuff on the positive side
0: too. So Yeah, we can take both of them.
1: So uh, I think a lot of people have concerns about healthcare in the future, and there's no doubt there are a lot of issues. I think the biggest thing that I've seen is is how the financial aspects of healthcare are increasingly front and center. And I see that obliquely um, in just in how things are in the healthcare landscape. I see, Hospitals merging, uh, merging, and very large groups of hospitals merging to the point where they are being um, blocked for uh, antitrust violations for monopoly um, creation. And these are sort of things that you never saw hospitals do before. The, this is what big business used to be cited for, and so it, it's really unusual that that this is happening. But it's happening because people are looking at at healthcare financially as a commodity, um, I have had my colleagues had their practices bought out by venture capitalists um, and they are purchasing large groups of specialty practices in order to try to consolidate and get a hold on a market. For example, dermatology in our area, there's a lot, lar- there's a, um, there's are larger and larger groups being consolidated. Um, and I think that these are the consequences of these, um, the aspects, the financial aspects of healthcare have not been fully understood, and I don't, and I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen in the future in, in this regard. I think everyone thinks bigger is better, um, but as we all know, you know, the deeper you get into the system, the less personal responsibility people have, the more the system takes over, so to speak. the The really difficult it is to find quality healthcare in those situations. Oftentimes you just get really, really lost and, and it's, it's very frustrating. So that's probably one of the ex, like concerned excitements
0: I have. Got it. I, this, well, I live here in Pittsburgh and we have UPMC, which is the healthcare system that seems to have just taken over and is growing exponentially. So yeah. And um, you were going to, were you going to share something that excites you positively?
1: Well, I think, I think the thing that I've, I that heartens me is that individuals still matter within healthcare. I think if you're a provider and you care, um, that's why you're going into healthcare. Um, I don't think, and I and I talk to uh, young people all the time. They should not be getting into healthcare unless they really care about caring for others. And I think that that's really important. And I think as long as we have people for which that is the driving and motivating factor, no matter what we do in healthcare in the future, that sense of dedication to others, the service for others is going to save us um, as a system
0: and as a specialty. Uh, And it is the care part of healthcare that you're saying is kind of the essential nature of, of what it is. Absolutely. What is one thing medical professionals can start doing today to improve the quality of healthcare,
1: care? Um, it's always personal responsibility. I would have to say um, it's very challenging sometimes when you're working within a system to feel like you have personal responsibility, time and time again. I've seen ICU nurses, they certainly care about their patients. There are some that are amazing superheroes, and yet the system tends to, I don't want to say break you down, but it gets so challenging, you know, the way they set up work hours or the way they set up staffing or the way they set up other issues. And as a, as a provider, you can often feel like what you do doesn't make a difference or it breaks you down to the point where you're burnt, burnt out. And so I would encourage us to Find ways to look above it, and unfortunately, unfortunately, that often means not necessarily doing, focusing on what you've been trained to do, which is to provide quality healthcare, but to look into um, influencing management or becoming management or 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 taking a leadership responsibility on some level. Um, even though I'm no longer, you know, doing reconstructive surgery, I do serve as chair of the credentials committee. And I'm associate director of plastic surgery at Valley Hospital, the local hospital in in our area in Ridgewood. And, you know, this is not for any reason other than I want my hospital to provide the best possible care, to evaluate um, our providers in the best possible manner. And it's it's for no other reason than to try to say we as physicians do have a role in management and also in, in trying to make sure that the stuff that comes down from top is is truly patient centered, and so oftentimes, I'll, you know, I think the physicians on these, it you know, we hate to be on committees, we hate to be part of these types of, um, the you know, time consuming uh, processes, but I really applaud all anyone who is involved on that level, helping to create policy, helping to, um you know, figure out how to make the best systems based practice for for patients. And that's where we as advocates have to step above ourselves, take our personal responsibility and and to do those things we hate to do, but that ultimately make such an important impact
0: on all our patients. A very powerful way to end our interview. Samri, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your perspective on healthcare. Thanks for listening to Perspectives on Healthcare. Visit perspectivesonhealthcare.com to learn more about Rob Oliver or to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If this podcast was valuable, we'd appreciate a review on iTunes. Or if you tell a friend or coworker about the show, that would be helpful too. Join us again next time for more Perspectives on Healthcare.